This episode is brought to you by the Myrtle Beach Convention Center. Hello, everybody. This is Courtney Stanley, and welcome to the first episode of season five of Dare to Interrupt, the only podcast made by women for women in the world of events, hospitality, tourism, and beyond. We hope you feel empowered as you engage in these honest, unfiltered conversations with leaders who are considered to be the most influential, inspiring, and innovative women in business today. Throughout their careers, these leaders have dared to interrupt conversations, their own comfort zones, and sometimes even societal norms to hustle toward their greatest levels of success. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest. Here with us, we have Carla Kobosholt owner of Unleash International. Welcome, Carla. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much, Kearney, for having me here in your podcast. I am so excited about just this conversation and sharing it with everyone. Well, me too, girlfriend. And you have had a whirlwind of this start to the new year. You've been traveling the world. Where were you? What were you doing? How has the year started for you? Well, the year started, um, I would say, unexpected. Uh, normally, um, the, I like to start the year very quiet and just enjoying with family, catching up with clients and things like that. But uh, one client just said, we got to go to Switzerland. So there I run off the first week of um, January and I was in Davos, Switzerland, um, having events and just doing the thing, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. And what were the events that you were working on? Just uh, pretty much roundtables for like high level clients. And, um, you know, uh, it's for the World Education Forum. And as you know, that is a huge um, location where all the world leaders go and things. And so I got the opportunity to go and support the client in um, creating events and roundtables for them. So I'm very, very excited about that. Um and it was quite the experience, just the energy, the people, um, the dynamics of how they interact, which I have never experienced before as a meeting event professional in my almost 20 years doing this. It was completely different, to be honest. Yeah. And what an amazing opportunity, just being a bit of a fly on the wall and also getting your hands dirty at the World Economic Forum. Did you meet any of the leaders that were there? Did you get to see them in action having these these high-level talks? You know, it's interesting enough as a, when we are planners, when we go to places, we get to not see this, the most important things on like what's happening on stage. We're always on the back end or on the side end or trying to set up or things like that. So we don't, I didn't really get to see that. But for me, mostly I wanted to see the city. I wanted to explore and connect with the energy of the nature of the mountains of, of what's happening there and give myself a little bit of time to enjoy that, um, to go and see local stores and things like that. So I, even though I knew there was things happening around me and crazy things happening around me, I really wanted to ground myself and pretty much enjoy the town and the, what was happening instead of just focusing on like what was happening. If you, if you know what I mean. So it's, it's, it was a different perspective that I wanted to go within kind of like go and really understand the city, the town, the people and the culture. Cause I've never been there before. Um, within a very international um, crowd, 
Absolutely. And what an amazing time of year to be in Switzerland, you know, with the snow and I just think it would be so magical. So good for you. What a great way to start the year. I would love for you to tell me and also tell the audience more about your company, Unleash International. Yeah. So Unleash International came about, um, to be honest, um, after I'm going to be very open and and share my heart with you guys, literally after having um, depression and anxiety. I've been working in the meetings and event industry for a long time, and um, I just hit bottom. I was burned out completely, and I had no life. It was my family was hurting. I was hurting my job, and pretty much the way that I was doing work was hurting. Um, So it's kind of like I was not productive in any way around. And so when, of course, the world stopped in 2020, kind of everything started flourishing. And that's where Unleash International came about, where I needed to come back to myself and find myself as a planner. I wanted to find myself as, okay, what am I doing in the work that I'm doing? Um, We have so much impact in our hands and we do nothing about it, right? And the only people impacted that um, hurt, hurt, like the impact on a negative way is ourselves all the time. And so I needed to change that for myself, for my family, and for the work that I was doing. So I decided to start shifting and working on that and Unleash International birth out of that, really. Um, and focusing on really creating more conscious events, not conscious events for others, but for the planner first. So I always say, if you want change, it has to come from within first, right? Mm. If you want to... Uh, change how people treat you how are you treating yourself right and so those are the things that came about and so I started change with myself I started focusing on me and healing and um, really taking care of myself and looking at the way I talk to myself and looking at the way that I took care of myself I fed myself I I um, you know all the things right and so then it became more of like, okay, I like this. I like the new me. This is this is like, wow, I'm, I'm alive. I have time. And it helped that it was 2020, right? Because we had the time events stopped. So it really helped me kind of focus on myself. But once the true, true test came, when once we opened back again with events was like, okay, Carla, this is the test, right? You got to go back to an event. Are you going to do the same things? And that's when I started testing in on myself, everything of how to be the conscious planner, how I call it, right? Like really, and it's the basis of Unleashed Internationally, becoming conscious about yourself and how you're managing yourself within the events, within the planning, within the onsite, within the people around you at home and at work. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how it came about. That's fantastic. And I think it's such a great reminder that a lot of times our purpose can stem from pain, from really difficult experiences that open up doors for change, for an opportunity to grow and to do things differently. And for you, you turned that into a business, which is just phenomenal. I want to talk to you about the state of the meetings industry right now. As we know, you know, it's 2024. The last couple of years, we have had so many ups and a lot of downs as well with the pandemic and just so many other things. How would you personally describe the state of our community right now? So the people who are in our community, how are people doing right now? Honestly, and I see it all the time with clients, with um, people that I hire, coworkers and friends in the industry, 
it's a, the word is burned out. Mm-hmm. And for me, that it's a, for me, was a word that it was normalized for me was normal. Oh, it's normal. We're event industry. You know, if, if you're not burned out, then why are you in the event meeting in event industry? Right. That was for me. And so, and I, I thought that after the pandemic, people would like, kind of like shake up and open up to, okay, wait, I'm burned out. This is not normal. What's happening. But the more and more I see it, it's, it's becoming more and more normalized, which mm-hmm. is strange. And so I feel that that part of the industry, it's hurting because everybody's talking about the new AI, the technology, the ways, the new ways, the new forms to do events, the new trends, everything, right? But nobody's talking about the planner. Nobody's mm. talking about them and their well-being. Nobody's talking about the amount of load work that has doubled or tripled since the pandemic because it gotten even busier than it was before. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that it's it's time. It's time for us to shake things up a little and really start raising our voices to corporations, organizations and saying, hold on, this is not the norm. This is not our industry. We are not here to be working 24 seven. We are mm-hmm. not here to not have boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, who we do you think? Yes, we do. <laughs> we do need a life. That's for sure. And I completely agree with you that I think burnout culture is very much embedded within the role of a meeting professional, specifically a planner. Who do you think normalizes that burnout? Do you think it's on the planners to denormalize this? Or do you think it's more on the leadership of these organizations that are, you know, arguably responsible for the culture of their people? Who's who's at the crux of this burnout crisis. So I believe uh, heartedly that everything starts from within. So if I allow myself to be treated, to be not compensated, to be uh, talked to or how whatever it is, just for the fear of, that I am the first offender that I'm allowing for normalization of the burnout, right? Because I'm not valuing myself. I'm burning myself out because I don't know how to say no, right? I'm, I'm, I'm really burning out myself because I, I'm like, I can't keep up my eyes out of the phone because, oh my gosh, what if the client or what if the internal client or the CEO, right? So I do believe it's the, the professional itself first that needs to shift this. And then once that happens, what's going to happen is there's going to be a shake within the organization going like, whoa, 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 what's happening here, right? And that's when leaders are going to start realizing that, hey, there, there's a change here. Something needs to change, right? But it comes first from within. Do you think that leaders, generally speaking, are receptive to feedback, especially when it comes to setting boundaries? My belief about the leadership is because themselves are not within themselves also. So it's like a trickle effect, right? I believe that they always focus on the bottom line and the well-being of the 
meeting professional or the employee, it's not in the bottom line. How much I can put work pressure or workload in a person for this amount of XYZ dollars, right? That it can at the end give me that bottom line XYZ dollar profit. That's how I see it. But when you have a person that says, whoa, one second, no, this is my worth. This is my boundaries. They're going to start like pushing, 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 right? But the more we unite, the more people start doing that, the more professionals are start doing that, then there's going to start being a shift upwards. Mm. So it's possibly a power in numbers situation where sure. the more people who speak up, the more change will potentially be made from the top down. Correct. Correct. Okay. And, and and as and as CEOs, owners of your organization, my organization, if I'm hiring somebody, I'm not going to treat them like the bottom line. I'm going to treat them consciously and say, okay, you want to go to the gym during the hours of work? Go to the gym. It's part of, you're going to be more productive by you going during the work hours to exercise or to start a little bit later to start sleeping or go to your kid's recital or whatever. Then me saying, no, you work nine to five and then you have your personal life afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we know, we know that people struggle to set boundaries. That's not a mystery. And I, I think most people can relate to that. I think there are a few people who may, you know, it may come a bit easier to, for them to say no, for them to push back, for them to self-advocate. But the majority of people, especially if they're operating in a culture where setting boundaries may not be the norm, do struggle to speak up for themselves. What would your advice be to encourage them or to even give them a step-by-step process for them to start flexing those communication and those self-advocacy muscles? The first thing that comes to mind is start with yourself, little bits, pieces, right? And with yourself, I mean, okay, um, you always say, oh, I want to stop drinking, let's say, for example, right? So let's say you drink five days a week. And you're like, you know what? I want to start setting boundaries with myself. I'm only going to drink two days a week. And so somebody, you come and you're like, oh, I'm so tired. And da, 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 I had a really bad day at work or heavy work. I am going to pour a glass of. Are you saying no to yourself or saying yes to yourself? Start there, small, right? And once you start getting used to saying no to you, it will come naturally to say no to your spouse, to your children, to your family, to your neighbor, to your community, to your church, right? And then expands to your work. So starts with you and it's like opens up and expands as you practice with yourself. That's a really interesting way to look at it. And I don't think I've heard anybody express boundary setting that way where it aligns perfectly with every message that you've really been driving home in this conversation, which is that it starts with self. And I think that's really fascinating to consider what boundaries you break within your own routine. So things like not drinking, things like exercising, getting enough sleep, limiting screen time, getting outside, like... Because, you know, I have, I've heard people use the expression 
stop ghosting on yourself. So stop letting yourself down, stop, you know, bailing on the plans that you had made for yourself. But I think it's really interesting to frame it in the conversation of boundaries where you ask yourself the question, what boundaries have I set for myself that I have also broken? And can I work harder and more intentionally to honor my own boundaries first before I start trying to set and honor and reset boundaries with those around me. That's really fascinating, Carla. What, what inspired you to really adopt this philosophy? So interesting enough, I, I was learning about, uh, civilization and in civilization in a new way. And um, as I was looking, um, sort of like it's like um, history, spirituality, mixture of civilization. And as I'm learning this, um, I something resonated in the fact that you want to make changes to the way you eat, the agriculture, what's coming through. If you wanted to make changes to the education, if you want to make changes to the finances or even politics, right, in civilization, how are you doing it to yourself? And that is a click for me. How are you putting food in? What are you eating? The agriculture part. How are you managing your own finances? Meaning how are you managing your energy? Because that's financial in your body, right? So how are you managing those finances, your energy? How are you managing education? How are you talking to yourself? How are you educating how the words that are coming through in through your mind, your, it's connected to your mind. Then you talk about politics. How are you leading yourself? Right? And so all in the same thing comes with spirituality, right? And so how are you connecting first yourself first before you even look on the outside within yourself? Right. How you talk to your inner child and, you know, I I could go a little bit brighter, right? Like broader. Your inner child, we all have it, right? Sometimes we want to go out and play in the snow. Like we had a snow here in DC. Like we want to go play in the snow. Oh, but I have to work. And your inner child gets mad and then you get aggravated for no reason. And you're like, why? Right. And so those things come first for yourself. And that's where everything clicked for me. And then I was like, wait a second, I'm complaining about what's happening in the world. I'm complaining what's happening in my community. I'm complaining what's happening in my home, right? With my children and my husband and stuff. Because if you think about it, it starts with the, within self, with your inner child, inner teen, inner young adult, right? That's a community within you. And then your home, if you have a, a husband, children, it's a community there. And then you community of your community. How are you managing that? But everybody's pointing outside, but nobody's pointing inside first. Mm -hmm. And that's how everything came about. I really loved when you said, how are you leading yourself? I think that's so interesting. And I think that fits into this conversation beautifully in, in thinking about, let's say we've done the work internally and now we're trying to set boundaries and say no more to the leaders of our organizations. And that question of how are you leading yourself, I think is really interesting, but I do want to address a challenge that I think a lot of people face. So let's say you've done the work, you're getting better at setting boundaries for yourself and for your family members, maybe friends, 
However, you're running into roadblocks and attempting to set boundaries with the people that you're working with, let's say your manager, your leader, and they're not receptive to it. What, what then? So what's the fear? What is the fear of everyone when, where you talk about, oh, I can't get to them or I can't, the fear is, what am I going to do? I can't leave. Well, the truth is you can. <laughs> There's best of opportunities out there. And again, who you're choosing? Are you choosing to stay in a place that is like eating you inside or are you choosing you, right? There's tons of opportunities out there for meeting professionals, for anyone, for anything, right? Yet we are afraid not to take them. I was afraid to start speaking about this, right? And kind of talk about Conscious Planner and talk about an open Alicia International. But then if I don't do this, then I won't be able to do the thing that I love, which is help others and share my message, right? And am I afraid of, am I not making it? People are going to think this, but yeah. But, and again, I'm working on myself to make sure that I am confident enough and I'm, 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 I know that this, there's a reason behind this, right? So when you're not having that going through, make a plan. Make a plan and say, okay, this is not getting through. I want my boundaries. I'm going to find a place where they're going to accept my boundaries, right? It might take it might take a couple of months. It might take six months. It might take a year, but you have a plan in place. Don't just settle. And that's what we do. We tend to just settle and say, well, I couldn't push my boundaries, so I'm just going to settle. No. <laughs> I think that's great advice to anybody who's in a place where... They feel like they've been just frustrated and unheard. I think that's probably one of the primary frustrations of people who do end up leaving their organization is that they feel that they're unheard, but they also feel that they are unvalued. And I know something that you and I had spoken about prior to this conversation was the possibility that corporations maybe don't place as much value on meeting and event professionals because they don't you know, well, may not always be seen as them driving revenue directly into the organization, even though I have definitely worked on plenty of event marketing <laughs> campaigns to know that that is not true. But there is a conversation that's been happening in the industry for the past handful of years about the business of meetings, the business of events, the value of meetings, the values of events. And we keep having these talking points created by associations, industry leaders of how do you prove your value as a meeting planner to the bottom line of a business? Yet we're still hearing these conversations about meeting professionals not being seen as directly tied to revenue drivers. So what are your thoughts on, on that, Carla? Where are we today? So I believe that the conversation is sometimes as a too all broad on the conversation. So a CEO, my, you know, and I've seen it because I've attended those events and listened to CEOs and, and, you know, CFOs or whatever, sit on those chairs and be like, yeah, we're making the change. You know, we, you know, they, meetings and events really are important. But the truth is, it's just words. And there's no follow through. There's no follow up on that. Right. And that's why the conversation, if there's conversation with no action, it means nothing. 
what would that follow through look like? I believe that there's no company out there that has stand up and said, this is what we're doing. We have changed the way that we manage and the planners and values and stuff. And this, it's working. Why? Because they're afraid that it's not going to hit their bottom line. And so nobody, there's nobody out there in the meetings and event industry and the corporations, the bigger associations, corporations that are going to stand up because they have a modality and a mentality that that's not important. That is not, there's never, it's never, no matter how many times you're going to talk about it, it's never going to be the priority for the organization. Why do you think that is, Carla? Because they value other things more than what we bring to the table. We are like, I believe that we as meeting and event professionals are like the CEOs of the organization. Yet we're treated like administrative system. No offense to administrative systems. We love you guys out there, but we are treated like that. And I believe that one, it has been created because of history right? How do, how do we evolved into the industry itself, right? And two, I don't believe that when you sit around CEOs, their topic of importance is talking about how much a meeting professional can bring to the table. They're, they, they're more focused on what's happened in politics because what? If they're a public company, they have to go up and down, right, on, on their stocks. If they're a, sm- a smaller company, they have to make sure their clients and the bottom line, how much they're they're making at the end, are they profitable, right? There's other more important things. So would you say that the responsibility of communicating the value of events falls on the meeting planner? On the meeting professional, you have we have to show our worth and our value. And how we do that is we stand up to the CEO of the organization. And we're not going to stand up and be like, this is my, you know, (laughs) we stand up and we say, hey, you know, this is what I bring to the table. This is what events bring to the table. This is how much you need in the table. I remember working for an association and I was bringing as a a meeting, a, a meeting, I was in the department, 65% 65% of the association's revenue, 65% of the association's revenue. That's a lot for, for, for a meeting professional, depa- for a meetings department to bring, right? Yet when I, I went to the board, they thought it was not important. So that's where my journey started really. I was like mad at the board and I was like, I can't work with the board because it's too political right? Everybody's looking for their own interests, right? And for me, I was looking for the interests of the organization because that's what we do. We planners, we immerse ourselves into it. We want the best out of the organization because we, we, we live it, we breathe it, and we want it to, you know, we want to make it happen, right? And so that's, that's what I, everything started. They don't, they're, they're not interested. They were like, oh yeah, you bring 65%, but we have members that are the most important ones. Oh, really? Membership only brings 35%, let's say. Okay, let's not have events. Oh no, no, we have to have events. Ah, we do. 
right? So it's one is education, right? We gather together in a meetings and events and we talk about it between each other, but we don't go to other conventions or other conferences and talk about it. We don't go to conventions of CEOs. We don't go to conventions of CFOs. We don't go to conventions and talk about how important meetings and events are. You know, we, we see it around, around us and we like, hooray, us and us, and we all get it. And we are like, yeah, but nothing's changing because we're just us. Mm -hmm. We don't go to other, you know, organizations and talk about it, how important events are. They attending an event. They know how important it is, but they don't want to talk about it. And we don't bring it up and we don't go talk about it. We don't expand ourselves and go talk about it there. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that for me, I want to focus on that and do that. Go out there to other organizations and see how can I talk about this, about the in our industry to other industries. Because they're meeting, they're using an event to generate profit, yet they don't want to talk about meetings or give it the value that it deserves. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting to me that the board, in your experience, the story that you shared, that the board had such a a negative response or kind of a laissez-faire response. When, you know, when I think of a board, I, I certainly think of the financial health of the organization that seems to be, you know, top priority for most boards. So it's so unusual that you went into the room, you gave them the numbers and they turned around and said, okay, and... It's so strange to me. And, you know, because it, the the initial question I was going to ask as a follow-up to this was, well, how do we change the conversation? What conversations should a meeting professional be having with a board of directors or with key stakeholders to ensure that the value is made clear? But it's it's unusual to have had a conversation about the, the financial benefit of a meeting and to have it just kind of, you know, shrugged off a little bit. Do you feel like that's typical or do you feel like that was kind of an unusual? That is very typical. And it's interesting enough that has happened to me in all of the corporations and locations I worked for. And wow. I would go to the CEO for this corporation I worked for. And I was like, okay, you know, we're having these events. Events are so important. Yet the first thing they cut were the events. It was a tech company. So they're like, oh no, our system or technology is our company. I'm like, okay, great. But who's going to sell it? If you don't have an event, how are they going to know about it? That's so, yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I definitely have seen that a handful of times in our space. I mean, we all saw it during the pandemic, you know, that was the first budget item that was cut where, you know, meetings and events. And of course, you know, obviously meeting in person was not possible for a long time and we eventually switched to virtual, but I think, you know, the business case for having and hosting expensive in-person conferences became more difficult to argue after the pandemic when businesses saw, oh, you know, we're actually doing, we're doing okay. And do we really need to bring them back? And so if you were to suggest, if somebody were to make the case for, we need to have meetings and events because X, Y, Z, what do you think are the most important variables to include in that conversation? So before I would go to talk to anyone, I will talk to myself and say, do I believe that what I do is worth me going and like fighting for? 
Do I truly believe that what I do is pa I'm passionate? I am committed. I am. I live and breathe it. Do I believe that this is something that I can stand behind and really stand behind it? That, that would be the first thing. And if the answer is yes, then go to the to the CEO, you know, go to the, you know, I've never, and I'm going to be honest, I, I've never, <laughs> very honest and transparent here. I've never had a problem with hierarchy. I don't believe in hierarchy really. So I can talk to anyone and everything. And I just like talk to them, you know, and sometimes I had in trouble because I will overpass my manager because <laughs> I just go, I'm like, my thought process is you go to the change maker. Who is the change maker? My manager is not the change maker. The CEO is the change maker. So I will go directly to the CEO, right? You have to go to the change makers, the ones that have the power to make that change. And if then, then you present all of the, be prepared, of course. That's it's the main thing. Be prepared. Be prepared to put your case forward and show the heart and the passion you have, not only for the organization, but also for what you do. And then see what happens, because you might be surprised that things could change, mm. but also don't have expectations because you might be surprised that nothing will change. Mm. And of course, we can't forget data. <laughs> I feel like data is key in these conversations too. You know, the passion is important. Self-belief is important, but also the numbers, you know. The numbers. Mm -hmm. What have you brought into? How much you saved the company? How much money you brought in? How much money you've saved the company? Your department, let's say, if you're a department head, right? That is valuable for the organization because why they focus on the bottom line. If you enter there through numbers and data and then hit them with the other side as well, hey, you might have a case and also be prepared for, for them to just oversee it because sometimes it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this was so helpful, Carla. And I love that, again, this whole conversation has gone back to starting with self. I think in every micro chat we had in this conversation, everything comes back to self-empowerment and really a belief in what you're saying, whether it is advocating for the value of the department that you're running or your role, or it's advocating for the importance of setting boundaries and taking care of yourself so that you can function and operate and do the job you want to do in a way that feels healthy. It really does all start with you. So I want to, of course, thank you for being here, but I want to give you a, a a little bit more airspace to share any final words of wisdom or pieces of advice that as we go into this new year, people listening in this podcast can take with them. One piece of advice that I would love to share to everyone is start really being aware of how you are in your life and how not happy because happiness is a state of mind, right? How do you perceive your life to be? And if you're not content, if you're not in harmony with it, then start to make changes, small changes to it. You don't need to go big. Start small. Because I have I want to, you to remember, I want you to know that you're worth it, that you're loved, 
that you, what you do matters and what you do really changes the world. And so I really want to empower everyone to go within, be aware, be aware of your mind, your body, your energy, and take time to, for you, take time for you. You, you deserve it. You work hard for it. Wise words, Carla, and I will definitely be taking those with me. And I want to say thank you so much for kicking off our fifth season of Dare to Interrupt and with a great conversation, so many takeaways, so many things for us to think about and for just sharing your wisdom with us. And of course, audience, thank you all for listening. Be sure to share what you learned from this episode with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by following at Meetings Today and at Courtney on Stage. And be sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to Dare to Interrupt on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. Create balance, advocate for yourselves, and keep daring to interrupt, my friends. Until next time.